0: Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance.
1: You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey.
2: For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is Synolytics. Synolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Synolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Synolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on qualia synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more, and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try qualia synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code DAVE at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash DAVE. Use code DAVE. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, And spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health for an exclusive 10% off. Hey
1: everyone, you're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is about why you're so addicted to checking Facebook and text messages, or maybe why you spend an hour searching, but you don't get anything done turns out that's because of dopamine, which we thought was kind of the pleasure hormone of the brain, not only controls pleasure, it controls our seeking behaviors. So dopamine makes us want things badly, things like information, and it makes us engage in goal-directed behavior to get the things we want. So it's actually our opioid system, not our dopamine system that controls pleasure. But if you combine the opioid system and the dopamine system. Well, then you've got addictive pleasure, and we all know where that leads. Today's guest is Hal Elrod. Hal, you're an interesting guy because when you were 20, you were hit head-on by a drunk driver doing 70. You were dead for six minutes, in a coma for six days, broke 11 bones, and were never supposed to walk again. Uh, you did. You became an ultramarathoner. And you've been a multiple number one best-selling author and you wrote the miracle morning uh, about some sort of weird crap, like getting up before 8am. I don't even understand that, but I'm sure we'll talk about it. 8am dude. It's the middle of the night. Uh, you're also, you're also a husband and father a bulletproof coffee drinker. You're a rapper on iTunes. And like, basically you're a guy who hit the wall almost literally, although apparently it was an oncoming truck, but, you've recovered. And one of the things that, that I'm really interested in personally, and that's a part of the Bulletproof philosophy, is around resilience. So I think you're a living example of of someone who's you know, learned how to be resilient, even from like very large things. And I want to talk to you about that today. So, so you sound how like someone who's maybe studied Buddhism, and what you described as classical non-attachment. So you're not attached to the outcome, you're you're more focused on how are you since what do you have control of and how is your response to it going to be like what's the sensation of it but it's unusual for anyone who hasn't spent a lot of time in meditation or studying in a monastery or something to have that level of of understanding of the way of the ways of the world um as a young man you said you had some mentors what kind of mentors did you have that would teach you this kind of unusual knowledge
3: yeah, so you mentioned Buddhism and it's interesting, but it wasn't until I read books after my accident. Year probably five years after my accident, I read like the power of now in some of these books. And that helped me articulate what I was doing without realizing it, which is interesting. But um right, because I didn't it's not I wouldn't have the way I just described it to you, I couldn't have described it at the time. I described it that way five years later when I had some some way to articulate it. But here was how it was it was laid out. So My mentor taught me something called the five minute rule in my sales training at Cutco. My my mentor, Jesse Levine, was my manager. And the the five minute rule simply said, it's okay to be negative sometimes when things go wrong, when they don't go your way, but not for more than five minutes. He said, set your timer on your phone, right? Look at the clock. You get five minutes to bitch, moan, complain, and (laughs) vent. And then after five minutes, he says, as an intelligent human being, you, you stop putting your energy into something that you can't go back in time and change, right? Unless you're Marty McFly, You can't go back in time and change it so the only logical intelligent response is to go okay can't change it where do i want to go and what's in my control to get there and so i applied that for a year and a half in my sales training now granted it was for much milder adversity right it was i was dealing with no sales and rude customers not being told i'd never walk again but the principle was the same and what happened was i came out of the coma a week later the doctors called my parents in because they were concerned, and they sat my mom and dad down, they said, Mr. and Mrs. Elrod, we're concerned with Hal. Uh, you know, he, physically he's, he's doing well, healing's going great, but we believe that your son is in denial. Because every <laughs> time, yeah, they said every time we see Hal, uh, the nurses, the doctors, the, the therapists, every moment we see with Hal, he's always laughing and joking and making us laugh. And they said, that's not normal. Not for a 20 year old young man who's been told he's never gonna walk again. So they said, we've seen this before where he his reality right now is so scary. It's so painful. It's so unacceptable that he's checked out of reality and he's living in a state of delusion. So my dad comes in that night. The doctor said, you know, you need to get him to admit how he's really feeling, feel the pain, sad, angry, depressed. He's got to go through those emotions to get to the other side. So my dad comes in one night and he says, Hal, Hey buddy, how are you doing? How are you how are you feeling? We've never really talked about how you're feeling when there's no one around. You know, you have a lot of visitors, but when your friends are gone and family's gone and you 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 know you're turning the lights off for bed and you're by yourself thinking about that the doctors are saying you might not walk again. You're thinking about what happened to you. Are you sad? Are you angry? Are you depressed? And I could tell my dad had been crying, you know, his, his eyes were red, he had tears and I really thought about his questions. I thought, am I sad? Am I angry? Am I depressed? And I looked at my dad and I just smiled and I said, dad, I thought you knew me better than that. I live my life by the five minute rule. It's been two weeks since the accident. I can't change this. So what's the point in feeling sad, angry, or depressed? What's the point in wishing it didn't happen? And that's when I transitioned into the, what I said earlier, which is I said, dad, there's only one of two options. Either number one, the doctors are right. I never walk again. And in that case, I accept it. I'll be the happiest person you've ever seen in a wheelchair. Option number two, I'm going to walk again. And one week later, I think it was six days after that conversation, the doctors came back with x-rays and they said, Hal, Mr. and Mrs. Elrod, and Hal, it's hard, we don't know how to explain it. Your body is healing at a, you know incredible rate. We're going to let you take your first step tomorrow in therapy. So it went from never walking again to three weeks after I was found dead. My femur broke in half. My pelvis broke in three places. The doctors let me take my first step. And a month after that, I left the hospital against doctor's orders. I got back to work. I was selling, breaking records again, you know, um, using the sympathy angle because that's what I had at that point. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that's what happened. Wow. Uh,
1: that's, that's an impressive story. You almost used the word miracle there when you were talking. You self-edited that. So why, why did you cut that out?
3: I don't. I doubt the doctors use that word, um, and I could be wrong. I just when I re-explain the story in in various parts. I mean, there's a lot of different components of that of my story, my accident. Half of it I don't remember firsthand. I only know like especially the first week. I have zero memory of the first week when I came out of my coma. I only know how I responded, what my feelings were. Based on my mom and my dad and my sister and my friends and all these people that visited me, they wrote in a journal. Every person that visited wrote in a journal, and they basically said, Hal, you're insane. Like you were funny before the accident, but now you have no filter. You're saying like really inappropriate things, but I'm going to bring my friends back next weekend because this has been a blast, you know. <laughs> so so anyway, that's why I edited it, though, just because I doubt they would have said it miracle. And I, I don't remember word for word what they said, but that was the general idea is they came back and said – we don't know how to explain it, but your body is just healing beyond what we expected. And tomorrow we're going to let you take your first step. So, I, I've talked to a few people uh, over the years who've had, quote, miraculous, we'll
1: just call them really unexpected recoveries. You know, oh, my spine was broken, but now I'm walking kind of things. And most of them have a similar attitude uh, to what you're doing. And most of them spend spent a lot of time Visualizing or somehow working the interface between the mind and the body to tell the body, uh, like you're supposed to be doing that. So maybe you can. So it sounds like you got some benefit from doing something like.
3: Yeah, I always tell people that I don't have a graph to show you. Like, here's how positively I thought, and here's my bones healing each day. Like, I don't have that graph. I just have my real world experience, and um, you know, and I apply it to uh, everything. I mean, I uh, the the Miracle Morning, right? We'll talk about the book I know later. But one of the things I talk about is I go, look, I'm not a scientist, but there's so much research that shows you need eight hours of sleep. But there's as much research that shows that you need seven hours, that you need six hours. Yet some of the greatest minds of our time, right, Thomas Jefferson, Albert Einstein or Thomas Edison, all these, right, they slept four hours a night, you know, or (laughs) or three or five. Right. Yeah. So so going off of, okay, some of the greatest contributors to society slept that little. So in, in my book, The Miracle Morning, I say. Look, I'm not going to tell you how many hours of sleep that you need, but here's my belief. I believe that if my mind could influence the healing of my body to where broken bones became repaired, then I believe that I can go to bed and I can set my intention that, hey, tonight I'm going to sleep five hours and I'm going to wake up feeling better than I've ever felt before in my life. And I believe that I influence my cells to generate that reality for me when the alarm goes off in the morning. So that mind-body connection, I really believe very strongly in.
1: I would say there's enough scientific evidence that there is a mind-body connection, especially if you look at say Sarnoff's work uh, where people with intractable pain, like, Oh wait. And he just explains things a certain way and clinically significant results. Suddenly pain goes away because we're so unaware of how our mind and our body interact. And uh, a lot of the weird stuff that I do with neurofeedback and, and other forms of quantified self things are around teaching my conscious brain, the control systems for the rest of the body that are there, but they're just not labeled and they're not even that easy to see, but they are there. And, and it sounds like what you're doing is working those same things in whatever way it works for you.
3: Yeah, yeah, and for me, I'm not a real details guy. I'm not a real scientific guy. You know, you are, I mean, we, we actually be a good team, you know, but for me, it's just, it's like the, hey, these are real world, this is my real world experience. Here's the real world experience of other people, you know, try it for yourself. That's kind of always been oh. my approach. The
1: the n equals one study, which is does it work for you, is the most valuable one because honestly, maybe you're leveraging the crap out of the placebo effect. But dude, you're walking like that was pretty useful. <laughs>
3: sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So now, are you an optimist or are you a realist? How do you identify the difference between those two?
3: Yeah, really good question. Um, I you know, and I I mean, I would probably say I'm I'm, I'm both, but um, I, I'm an opter opto realist. Um, but the my, my look at it is this, is that optimism is is focusing on what's possible. It's focusing on the positive, and it doesn't solve all your problems. So when I, when I give speeches, I always tell the audience, I go, look, we could all sit here and meditate on our bank account balance growing, and I bet you if we all checked it, it would be the exact same. That's my guess, right? So positive thinking doesn't magically solve all your problems. My belief is it puts you in the best possible mental, physical, and emotional space to solve your problems, to create optimum results in your life. And now one thing I always say is, and and again, when I'm speaking, I say, raise your hand if you complain a lot, Uh, or I'm sorry, if you know someone that complains a lot. And I always get like, you know, most of the hands go up. And I say, if you're not raising your hand, that means you complain a lot and you're not aware of it. (laughs) Um, But here's the point. People that complain a lot often justify it with, I'm not negative. I'm just realistic. Right. And I say, that's BS because How is it an ounce more realistic to focus on, think about, dwell on, and talk about all the things in our life that are, you know, quote unquote negative or don't make us feel good, don't empower us, inspire us? How is that an ounce more realistic to talk about the problems in the world than for you and I to focus on, think about, and dwell on all the things that make us feel good, that make us feel empowered, inspired, grateful? So to me... Realism is, is, is a simply a choice. right? The quality of your life depends on which one you focus on, and they're both equally realistic. It's just as realistic to be super negative and focus on all the problems in the world as it is to be super positive. And, and I always say that I'd rather be the person that's so freaking positive I annoy some other people than the people that are so miserable that they get annoyed by positive people. Right, like that—that'd be my choice. So I, I'll be a—I'll be a realist, but that's my realism. Right, is I learn a lot from all the mistakes and the failures and the negativity and people treating me bad. I learn a lot from that. I learn what not to do. I learn what to stay away from. But I live over here. Right, 95% of my time is over here. Five percent is over here, just long enough to acknowledge it, compartmentalize it, and and put it in my bag of assets. Right, to live a more happy, healthy, and productive life.
1: Have you seen the research about skeptics? People who identify or self-identify as skeptics are three times more likely to have senile cognitive dementia than those who don't. Really? Yeah, like later in life. So so basically being a skeptic and looking for the worst in everything is no more, I, I couldn't agree more, it's no more realistic than looking for the positive. But there's also... What uh, I suppose you could call it's Gulliver's Travels, whatever the, the land of the lotus eaters. And people are so positive, like like think of like your favorite hippie yoga teacher. They tend to fall on that side. Oh, everything's so wonderful. And like I'm 15 minutes late for the class I was going to teach, and
3: like I, I, I
1: can't like bounce my checkbook, but like but like I love you all. Right, and- well, I
3: have a, I have a <laughs> yoga friend that's a world-famous yoga instructor, and you just described her perfectly, yes, and I, I love her to death.
1: Uh, yeah, lovely, lovely, but there's there's a certain side of positivism where we're like, you can't function in the world because you're so positive, right, and then there's like the curmudgeon, like, well, you know, it doesn't matter because everything sucks, and, you know, it, it's all going to fall apart in the end, right, and if you're on either spectrum, like, well, one is a nicer place to be, no doubt, like, one's a pretty dark place, one's a pretty light place, but but you also may not actually achieve your goals in either location. How do you avoid being that guy who's so positive that you walk into walls because they were pretty?
3: Yeah. Well, you know, it's good because I've been I've been there. For me, I had to realize that there's a fine line between optimism and delusion. Yeah. Right. Well said. Very fine line, and I cross it often. You know what I mean? <laughs> I cross it often, but um, but there's a fine line between the two. And here's a great example: when the U.S. economy crashed in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I went down with the ship. And I was one of those, and I think that was the greatest lesson where I, that was the time when I went from being an, an opt like blindly optimistic to being a realist because the people that were blindly optimistic when the economy starts to crash, they go, Oh, I don't pay attention to that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy into the negativity. I'm not, I don't watch the news. That was me. Right. And then all of a sudden you go, Oh wait, this shit's really happening. Pardon my French. Right. And, and then you've got to be a realist. So to me, it's, it's, it's focusing on the positive while, being very honest and acknowledging reality, right? So it's, it's, again, it's living over here, but it's also but it's also visiting here on a daily basis, right? You just don't dwell on it. So, and, and this being the positive, this being the negative, it's just not, you don't dwell over here. You look over here, you go, oh, got it. I see this is really happening right now. Uh, I need to be aware of this. I need to learn from this. I need to correct course and adjust. Got it, will do. And then you live over here right? So to me, it is, it is a balance. It is a balance between, between being optimistic and also always being aware and in tune with reality so that you don't, you don't cross that line of delusion. Do you have any
1: specific pieces of advice for people who are listening to this who feel positive right now and wonder if they're self-deluded? How do you know when you cross that line?
3: I think that it's every day. Here's, here's a great example. Every day, asking yourself, what could I have done better today? I think that's one of the simplest ways to do it every single day that you literally on a daily basis mm-hmm. it's where you can systematically in fact you and i were talking earlier i use the five minute journal right mm-hmm. and i use they make a hardcover version i use the app on my phone there's a morning and an evening yeah uh,
1: you, you just you just been on the show definitely talking about that
3: so the, so the evening entry right one of the questions is what could i have done better today and if that's all you do that's a way to to stay in touch with the realist right which is like okay I'm not perfect. And it can be painful sometimes to acknowledge where we're falling short or the mistakes that we're making or right. But we, if we do it every day, number one, we get we get a little bit numb to it so that we, it doesn't hurt our ego. It doesn't hurt our self-concept. We do it as a as a as a proactive approach to bettering ourselves and becoming a better version of ourselves. But that to me is the simplest way to do it in writing every day. What are three things that I could have done better today? And if you do that to me, that keeps you grounded and it keeps you in touch with where you're not perfect in your execution. You're not perfect in the way that you make decisions and live, but you can get closer and closer and closer by learning from what you're doing. That's, that's not optimum and, and not in line with, with this page over here of all the perfection and the, the positivity.
1: Uh, that, that's a, a great answer. And, and if you look at that from going back to the Buddhist kind of perspective... But what you're doing there is you're keeping your ego in check uh, because, you know, the ego is the part of you that's like, oh, I'm so perfect, et cetera, et cetera. So just keeping an eye on that sounds like a valuable valuable approach to walking that line between I feel good and I I have a positive worldview and and I'm happier and my biology feels safer and, you know, walking into that land of lotus eaters.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of- I, And I love what you said about that are, that are late to everything, right? They're late to everything. It's like, hey, you can be positive and also be respectful of other people's time. So, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm with you there. I, I will also admit
1: that some of my very favorite, most powerful yoga teachers have a very thin grasp of time. Uh, and it's probably because of their yoga practice, but you're like, like really? Like, your class was amazing. It <laughs> just started 20 minutes late. Uh, oh, well. Yeah, yeah. So, let's talk about time some more, because... You know, we just talked about delusional things and and you're offering a miracle morning, transforming your life before 8 a.m. And uh, you've got some really big claims, you know, the, the life you've always wanted faster than you thought possible. Uh, so I, I'm with you. Biohacking is there for maximum results, minimum effort. So what is your what's your secret there for doing things before 8 a.m. or really changing your life before 8 a.m.?
3: Yeah, well, let me first, I'll give you the, the short version of, of where this came from. This was, this was never, um, I've never written a book, not yet, that I intended to write. Meaning, yes, at some point I had to intend to write it, but I, I never intended to be a writer. If you'd ask my high school English teachers, they would be like, you know, how's the? they'd vote me least likely to finish an essay, let alone write a book. Both of my books were written out of a sense of responsibility, where something that grammatically changed my life, I felt like I, I owe it to pay it forward and share this. So when the U.S. economy crashed, as I mentioned earlier, in 2008, I lost everything, monetarily speaking. I lost my house. Um, I was $50,000 in credit card debt. I was 25 years old, just living on my credit cards. And um, as a result of so much fear and uncertainty, I, I got deeply depressed. I stopped exercising. Six months went by. I hadn't exercised a day. And physically, mentally, emotionally, and financially, I really was at a rock bottom. And to keep a long story short, I went on this run, and I heard a quote from Jim Rohn. And the quote was one I had heard before, but, Dave, you know, you have to hear something sometimes over and over and over and over again, right, uh, especially if you're not drinking bulletproof coffee every day, <laughs> that until it finally clicks. And here's the quote. Your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal development. In that moment, I realized I'm not dedicating time every day to my personal development. In other words, I'm not becoming the person that I need to be to create the success and sustain the success I want. In any area, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, spiritually, relationally, you name it. And so the realization is I've got to dedicate time every day to my personal development. Now, it sounds pretty simple. Here's the thing. I was at such a low point that I went home with my intention going, okay, how can I create the most extraordinary personal development routine known to man so that I can accelerate my success, so that I can... I can, you know, turn my situation around as fast as humanly possible. And the two challenges were, what am I going to do to do that, right? That's what, what am I going to read? Am I going to write? Am I, what am I going to do, right? And the second thing was, when am I going to do it? Because like most of us, I I was already strapped for time. It's like, I woke up at 6 a.m., I worked until 10 p.m., I watched an hour of TV, and then I went to bed, and I rinsed, and I repeated, that was my life. And I did it feeling depressed, I hated waking up. I thought about suicide. I didn't want to live this life. It was just getting worse and worse and worse. And the next, that night, I do a little research. What are the best personal development practices known to man? And I'm reading Entrepreneur and Huffington Post and Fast Company. And at first, I'm very disappointed because everything I came across, I had heard of before. Right? Like, I'm looking for, you know, like, you're unique in that you give all this stuff like butter and coffee. What? That's not old school. That's like a new thing. You're always on the cutting edge and 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 we're always looking for that. And that's why I think, you know, you, there's such an appeal for what you do because you're looking for advancements. We're always looking for the, the edge, the right, the unfair advantage. Uh, we're always looking for. <laughs> you,
1: you've been to the, the store, obviously. Thank you.
3: <laughs> products and apps to fix it quickly. And I come across six practices, meditation, what affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and journaling. And I go, these aren't new. The, I, I need something cutting edge. You could have
1: just read Napoleon Hill and got that done.
3: Yes, yeah. And I think that was actually the first book I read for, during my Miracle Morning. Nice. But so what ended up happening was I, I get over myself and I realized, wait a minute, just because I know these things, I don't do these every day, but highly successful people swear by any one of these. And I thought, what if I did all six of them? Because there are successful people that, that they attribute meditation to their success, right? Russell Simmons, founder of Def Jam from Run DMC, Boo Boo Clothing, one of the most successful men in America, he, he swears by meditation. So I thought if any one of these can be a game changer, all six of them are like personal development on you know steroids, on you know, bulletproof, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And so Then I think, when am I going to do it? I'm not a morning person, but that's the only time that makes sense. I wake up at 5 a.m. I've been reading all these articles. Successful people wake up early. They have a morning success ritual. So I I suck it up. I put it in my schedule, 5 a.m. personal development. Here's Here's the game changer. Keep in mind, I was at the lowest point in my life, right? I mean, rock bottom, depressed. It broke, losing my house, physically the fattest, most out of shape I had ever been in my life that night, I go to bed feeling hopeful for the first time in six months. I kind of attribute it to like when I was a kid on Christmas Eve, I was actually excited to wake up in the morning because I wasn't waking up to my shitty life, pardon my French, my, my, my mess. I was going to wake up to what I thought could be theoretically, I didn't know, but it felt like it could be the one thing that changed everything. I woke up in the morning, 5 a.m., crazy thing is i didn't even want to hit the button i woke up like a kid on christmas i jumped out of bed and i go through these six practices now keep in mind i didn't know how to do half of them i didn't know how to meditate i googled how to meditate and i'm sitting there right and i'm like okay clear my thoughts okay i'm like damn it i had a thought like i suck at this you know <laughs> and i go through all six but this was the, the the defining moment of my life who i am today results to this moment at 6 a.m even though my life was in shambles, I felt incredible. I felt, when I say incredible, I felt inspired, I was energized, I was motivated for the first time in six months. And I realized if I can start every day feeling like I'm at a level 10, then inevitably my level of personal development, who I am as a person, if I can start every day at a 10, my outer world, now it's at a two, But theoretically, I think it's going to eventually mirror my inner world. And I didn't know how fast it would happen. And to wrap this up with the results, two months later, I had more than doubled my income. I didn't get a new job. I didn't switch careers. I didn't get a promotion or a raise. I was doing the exact same profession. I was a success coach doing the exact same profession. I more than doubled my income because of the clarity and the purpose, the energy, all of the things that I got from that morning routine. It made me start every day at a level 10 and I started crushing every day. And if I had a bad day, I got to hit the reset button before I went to bed and start over at a level 10, doubled my income. And I went for, Oh, you want to say something?
1: Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm curious what time you were going to sleep. Cause if you wake up at 5am, like that's sort of limiting. And also I wonder, did you have kids when you did this?
3: No, this was before kids, but I do have a five-year-old. I do have a five-year-old and a two-year-old now. Uh-huh. And I would say there are probably 10,000 parents with kids that do the Miracle Morning every day. And I get emails all the time. They're like, so how do you do this? And how do you, you know, my kids wake up all night. But what happened, so I, I more than doubled my income. I went from being in the worst shape of my life physically and having never run before to doing a 52-mile ultramarathon, which I completed five months from the first day of the Miracle Morning. I had never run before other than P class. And then, um, my depression didn't take two months to go away. Dave, it was literally gone that morning. Or at least it was so minimized that uh, the optimism just overrode the depression. And because it happened so fast, it felt like a miracle. I started calling it My Miracle Morning. I never planned on it being a book. I never planned on it sharing it with other people. And it just evolved. I taught my coaching clients and then I just, I gave a speech on it and it evolved. And now it's one of the best selling books on Amazon, you know, with, you know, 500 five-star reviews or, or whatever. And it's neat to see that other people experience the same profound benefits that I did. It wasn't just me, which was always my greatest insecurity is maybe this was just me, you know, I don't know if it's going to work for other people, you know, and now I'm, I'm seeing it happen.
1: It's interesting before I had kids, I, I went through something similar for about 18 months. I, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to wake up at 5 a.m. Um, my circadian biology, since I was about three, has been set where I'll stay up till about 2 a.m. And if I do from like 2 a.m. till 8 a.m., that's you know six hours, and I, I could do that for the rest of my life and be perfectly healthy. And you know that would be more than enough sleep. Um, but for me, it was unnatural. But I'm, all right, fine. I, I'm just going to not care what time I go to sleep, but I'm always going to wake up at five. And my deal is I know that an hour of meditation can replace two hours of sleep. And to this day, it still can. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to cut my sleep as much as I need to in order to wake up at 5 a.m. I don't care how I feel. I'm going to do like a set of breathing exercises, a a Kriya meditation thing at the time I was doing Art of Living. And then I would do this really intense energetic medicine thing or sorry, energetic meditation thing. Um, And i sort of go about setting my intentions and and it totally rocked. And I found when I have kids though, that that it wasn't necessary to do that timing, like that it actually didn't work very well. Cause when I would wake up, no matter how quiet I was, kids sense when their parents up and then they, they want to play. Right. So you're like, okay, I, I could go do this, but it takes away from some of the parts of being a dad. And so I, I'm with you there that, that you can do a lot at that quiet period. Do you think there's any significance to the, various religion and spiritual practices who say like the best time to meditate or pray is actually the, the last third of the night, you know, around the, the 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Like there's more, more mojo there for lack of a more technical term. Is that some of your experience?
3: I don't know. I mean, I know for me, so I wake up now at three thirty a.m. seven days a week. So that's, I start at three thirty a.m. seven days a week. And I really, to be clear, uh, I used to post on Facebook, you know, up at 3.30 for a miracle morning. And I didn't realize that I was telling people thought, oh, to do the miracle morning, you have to wake up at 3.30. That's I'm, I'm never going to do it. Right. And so the premise of it is, is waking up. Not most people here. Here's here's kind of the point. Most people wake up because they have to right? like they set their, there. They go, OK, when do I have to be somewhere, do something or answer to someone? OK, and then when's the latest I can possibly wake up to be able to do that? And that's how most people wake up. And I feel like there's that energy where when you start your day, you know, you hit the snooze button, you're literally starting your day with procrastination. You're starting your day with a lack of self-discipline to get yourself out of bed, let alone do everything else that you want. So a big premise of the miracle morning is waking up with the discipline when you want to get up to work on yourself and, and become a better version of who you were when you went to bed. So for me, the meditation, I do it in the morning. I also do it sometimes in the evening, not every day. But yeah, I think that there's something special about being up before the rest of your household. It really is extraordinarily you time. You know, it really is quiet time. There's nobody's calling. Nobody's, you know what I mean? You really have that special time that's just that's just for you. My
1: special time when no one no one is is sort of interrupting me is usually 11 p.m. to
3: 1 a.m. Um, do you find people who do Miracle Evenings? Absolutely. In fact, I mean, that's probably going to be booked book at some point <laughs> is the Miracle Evening. And I even said in the Miracle Morning book, I said there's a whole chapter called Customizing the Miracle Morning to Fit Your Lifestyle. And I said a few things. Number one, I said... If you want to wake up, let's say right now you wake up at 11 a.m. every day, right? Yeah, that would be nice. (laughs) Haven't done that in like 20 years. Or, yeah, or 8 a.m. or not, right? Anytime. The miracle morning, like I said, it's about backing that up by 30 to 60 minutes to do an extraordinary personal development routine. So that's it. So it doesn't mean that you've got to get up early, right? It just means that whenever you have to wake up, you back that up by 30 to 60 minutes and you do the Miracle Morning. You do what are known as the Life Savers. And SAVERS is an acronym for those six practices. Silence, Affirmations, Visualization, Exercise, Reading, and Scribing, which is a fancy word for writing, right? So journaling, writing your intentions, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah. So, but I do talk about, you know, you could even do the Miracle Evening. Now, here's the thing about that, though, Dave. Here's the thing about this. If people go, couldn't I do the Life Savers? at any other time of the day, evening, afternoon, spaced out, whatever. Yes, you can, but they provide benefits that if you don't do them in the morning, you miss out on those benefits for the entire day. I'll just start with the the most straightforward one, exercise. Could you exercise in the afternoon or evening? Absolutely, and I still do. I still go to the gym, I still play basketball in the afternoon and evening, but there are irrefutable benefits to getting your heart rate up the oxygen and blood flowing, right, during, in the morning, releasing the endorphins, et cetera, to improve your cognitive ability, et cetera. So yes, you could wait. Meditation, same thing. You can meditate only in the evening, but it does calm your nervous system. It does lower your stress. Why would you want to miss out on that benefit, right, throughout the entire day? Affirmations are a great example. Affirmations in the evening, I believe in a lot of ways, actually have a more profound impact Mm -hmm. because when you go to sleep, your conscious mind is no longer shifting the focus of your unconscious, right? If you read affirmations in the morning, you then often get distracted with something else, and now the the effect it has on your subconscious, it's kind of minimized, because it's like now your subconscious has new stimulus that's, that's affecting it. In the evening, you read it before bed, go to bed, no other interruptions, no other distractions. You're really taking those affirmations and really programming the subconscious. But here's the thing. In the morning, your affirmations... Not only, I mean, they do impact your subconscious, but more importantly, they direct your conscious mind, which then directs your action for the day. When I read my affirmations in the morning, it influences what I do during the day, which impacts my results, which impacts my quality of life. So again, you could just do affirmations in the evening, but you're missing out on the profound benefits that you get doing it in the morning. So each of the lifesavers, silence, affirmation, all of those, you can do them at any time that you want. But when you understand the benefits that come and that affect your entire day when you do them first thing in the morning, you know, you, once you do it, you become hooked. You would never want to miss a miracle morning.
1: Yep, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on the affirmations. Uh, the Napoleon Hill stuff, you know, think and grow rich. Uh, he said, put your three most important things, I think it was write, your, write your, your statement and review it, put it on the mirror,
0: review it in the morning and at night. And I started doing that when I was 16. Uh, I said that I would
1: make a uh, million dollars by the time I was 23. And I made $6 million when I was 26. So it totally doesn't work. Um, <laughs> I, I, I also didn't put and keep it uh, because I lost it when I was 28. But like, you know, li- live and learn, right? You should be precise in your language, apparently. But it, it, it is true that, that for each of those uh, savers practices that are in the Miracle Morning, there's probably a tweak, or maybe you should do them two times, or maybe the optimal spacing is actually every 28 hours for one of them. Like, I I don't think we have good science for that, but the idea that all of those are powerful uh, and you, if you do them or most of them, um, that it'll, it'll rock your world. That's been my experience for sure.
3: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And and, and that's, you know, that people ask me which ones are better than the other. And I go, why of my favorites? I affirmations are my favorite. But if I had to pick one that was the most important, I would say it was exercise because that improves every, you know, mentally, physically and emotionally, you put yourself in that optimum state. But again, it's now that I've done all of them and I know each one has unique and profound benefits, I I don't ever want to leave anyone out. If I miss if I leave journaling out, there's a there's a hole there's something that I could have experienced that morning that I didn't experience. So yes, you could do just a few of them. You know, you, if all you did is read every morning and exercise, you're better than you know, 99% of society, so.
1: It's interesting too, as you do them, you develop skills and you can get essentially better at them. Uh, one of the things I've done is I, I meditate less now than I used to because I've done so much neurofeedback that my ability to access meditative states is like, it, it's there and I do a regular like Probably once a quarter, I spend a week with electrodes on my head at 40 years of Zen, which is is really made my my meditation path progress uh, to the point that well, if I take that week and I spread it out over X amount of time per day, I'm probably meditating the same amount, but I'm doing it where I don't like take some amount of time to get into a meditative state and then some amount of time to come out. I'm just diving in and going as deep as I know how to go, um, sort of like running a marathon once a quarter with my brain instead of you know running. Three miles a day, three days a week, kind of thing. Um, so I, I believe there's probably some optimi- some optimizations uh, in each of those practices that are that are accessible. And much of the historical writing about, uh, you know, about self improvement, but all that that meditation and various practices around the world. Uh, a lot of that was how do we do that stuff better and and there's so many different little tweaks that come from different things that it seems like the next you know hundred years of big data and getting more things from our mind and putting it all online and talking to each other in a way we never could before will will help us to do exactly what you did like you put together a recipe for how to use these amazing techniques in order to help people uh, do what they're going to do anyway but to do it faster and better and and obviously with less work than walking around going everything sucks all the time and i'm not happy and you know, life is hard and all those messages we play to each other that probably aren't true.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's something that it, each of the practices is a lifetime to master. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, literally every single one, you'll never fo- achieve your full potential in any of them. Really? Never? Uh, I mean, I think you'll I think you can always get better. <laughs> right. That, that's my thought. I think that when I'm, you know. I say that there's always, um, you know, the one thing we all have in common is the next level, right? And when I'm on my deathbed, I'll be like, oh man, I, there was, I was still trying to get better. You know, there was that next level I was working towards on the day that I die. You know, so I think that we'll, we'll always, it'll always be a process of growth and mastery in each of them. And one thing I wanted to mention um, probably one of the most popular chapters in the Miracle Morning. And it's also the one that is people are you mentioned skeptics earlier. This is the most skeptical. If I heard this, I would be like, that's a gimmick. Mm-hmm. It's called the six minute miracle morning. Right? The six minute miracle morning. And the way that it happened, again, it wasn't an idea for a chapter. It was one day there were enough days where I would skip my miracle morning because I would wake up. I like, I don't have time today. I gotta be somewhere. I got a meeting. I got a morning conference call. And one day I thought, I've got a call in like, you know, fifteen minutes i thought what if i do a six minute miracle morning what if i do one minute for each of the lifesavers right and so i go and i do one minute of meditation i just get quiet i take you know take a you know fifth deep breaths right but it was amazing one minute but i'm calmer right I'm, I'm i'm clearer then i pull out my affirmations and it really only took me a minute to read through them right now i'm focused I'm, I'm i'm empowered right it's like wow yeah that's a reflection of who i can become who i'm committed to being i close my eyes and i visualize what I need to do that day to crush the day, to win the day? And I feel I'm ready. Now I, I saw it. I know what it looks like. I Then I do a minute of jumping jacks, right? Exercise. Heart rate's up. I'm feeling good. I'm thinking clearer. Pull out a self-help book. Read a page. I get one idea that could change my life. Then I pull out my journal, write down one thing I'm grateful for, and the number one thing I need to do that day to win the day. Six minutes go by, and it was profound because I realized that was, you talk about biohacking, oh, yeah. doing more and less like, It was one tenth of the time, but I would say I got roughly 80% of the benefit in one tenth of the time. Now, I don't advocate doing a six minute miracle morning every day because you can only go so deep in that amount of time, but it is really, it shows us that there's literally no excuse to not dedicate at least six minutes, right, to our personal development. So, yeah, that was a profound breakthrough that I had in terms of scalability and, and doing it quicker.
1: Uh, and that's I, I wouldn't call that a gimmick. It, it, you might call it a, a hack or something because you know you're you're not doing it perfectly. You're just doing it good enough to get the results you wanted quickly. And that's kind of how I do many of the things uh, because I don't know how to achieve all the things I've achieved. Uh, if I'm going to pursue perfection, uh, because you know perfection is is the enemy of getting things done. And if you have no integrity or you have really low standards, um, you're going to do everything crappy anyway. Um, but that's a different problem right you know if 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 you know perfection but you shoot for in the neighborhood of perfection you're going to be pretty happy with the results knowing that you can always get a little bit better and over time you will that that's cool
3: let's see how often do you run i'm curious about this i don't run anymore i hate running (laughs) i hated running before and the reason I decided to run, so my friend runs a nonprofit called the Front Row Foundation, and it's one of the fastest growing charities in America. They send people to the front row of their favorite event, it could be a play or a concert or a sporting event, and they do a run every year. And my friend John, who has had run an ultra marathon, a couple of them, to raise money for the charity, said, Hey, why don't you come out this year? You know, we've, this is our second run, come run. I said, Dude, I hate running. There's no way I'm not going to run. He goes, he goes, you can do like a 5k walk with the grandma's just get your butt out here and support us. And so I was like, all right, you're right. I'll at least do a 5k jog or walk. Okay. And then once I committed to that, I thought that's weak. I can't do a 5k with the grandma's. I'm like, maybe I'll do like what, like a half marathon. like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. And then here's what hit me, Dave. This is what hit me. And this is ever since the accident. This has been my mindset is like, wow. That scares the heck out of me. Wow, that's really difficult and intimidating. Therefore, if I just commit to it and I make it public, then I have to do it and it will force me to grow in, in ways I've never grown before, become better than I've ever been before. So I called my buddy, I'm like, dude, I'm gonna do a half marathon. He said, okay. He said, if you, if you grow some balls, let me know when you're gonna do a marathon. It doesn't sound like a very good buddy, by the way. Just... I know, yeah. No, he is, because he challenged me. I'm he just kidding. Him. I called him back. I'm like, all right. I'm like, I'll do a marathon. He's like, okay. He's like, well, that's pretty good. That's half as much as I did last year, so I'll talk to you later. And I have the phone, and I was like, gosh, dang it. If I don't do an ultra marathon, I mean, that. so I literally, and here's my warped logic. I went, you know, if I could go from never running in my life except for in PE class when you had to run the mile, if I could go from never running to doing a half marathon or a marathon if i could run 26 miles from zero then i could run 52 from zero like that was my logic was if i could go from nothing to 26 well then what's another 26. so i i called him back and i'm like i'm gonna it took me 24 hours but i'm like i'll do the ultra marathon man count me in and it was crazy and i bought this book called the non-runners marathon trainer because it was for people that don't like running have never run before and how do you mentally wrap your head around this and then what's your you know your training regimen and so it's kind of crazy this was not an ultra marathon so this was the atlantic city marathon so what we had to do is we actually had to show up at the atlantic city marathon course at three o'clock in the morning five hours before it started we had to run a marathon before the marathon started and then we ran the marathon with everybody else and uh hardest worst day of my life and at the end it was so hard. I mean, I was in a wheelchair the next day. I couldn't walk. I was a wreck. And um, people go, you know, what are you going to do next? And I go, I'm going to check that off my bucket list and never run again in my life. And I've, I've held pretty true to that. So, <laughs>
1: um, Given what happened to the first guy who ran a marathon, um, I don't know. Maybe that was not a bad strategy. Uh, do you know what happened to the first marathoner? No. I, it's kind of a joke. I, I have great respect for people who have achieved running a marathon. But uh, the first guy ran one. We celebrate his death. He ran from I think one city in Greece to another one, and I'm forgetting what cities. And and he's like, you know, the the, the bad guys are coming, and then he died of a heart attack. You know, like he gave his life for his country and all that stuff. But like we're, we're celebrating his sacrifice when we run. And and I believe that you could be a healthy marathoner. Um, I also believe that when you get you know, people who are really out of shape and have like core metabolic problems and haven't addressed their core biology. And you like, like, oh, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to go run a marathon. They are probably causing more inflammation than they're preventing. So it's like marathon as a, as a sign of achievement, hallelujah, as a way of getting healthy. I, I'm scared of that kind of practice, but
3: you okay. know I- yeah, I think, I think r- long distance running is, and I'll piss off a lot of people that, right. But I think it's one of the worst forms of exercise. It's really hard on your knees. Like you said, inflammation. And for me, it was kind of, part of it was the doctors saying I would never walk. And yeah. that was another part of it, it was like, cool. I'm like, this would be a profound statement. Not for me, per. I mean, for me personally, but for, for human beings, like, hey, don't ever listen. You know, cause I'm a, I'm a speaker. I'm a motivational speaker, keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. I'm always looking at how can I overcome something so that I can share it with others. And I thought this is a great story of, Told I would never walk again, ran a 52-mile ultra marathon. that is simply evidence that as a human being, we can do anything that we commit to do and and, and never let anyone else's fears or limiting beliefs limit what's possible for you.
1: No, I, it, it sounds to me like you were giving the middle finger to those doctors who said that you'd never run again in the most public, spectacular way you could. And, and good for you, man. <laughs> like, that's awesome. But respectfully, yes. yeah. I, I don't mean in a negative way, but but just like, like no, really? like, like You could do this. Uh, So that, yeah, those guys saved your life. That's pretty legitimate. So
3: yeah, they deserve a little bit of uh, appreciation and gratitude for that. Yes. Well, Hal, this has been
1: fascinating to sort of get your perspective on things as as diverse as running versus what you do in the morning. And I I don't think I'm convinced to switch back to the 5 a.m. wake up time. (laughs) But uh, you and I do share a lot of practices in common uh, and I've got great respect for your work. And I'm I'm thankful that you uh, followed that uh, that inner vision that said, "All right, I, I need to share the practices that work. I'm going to write a book. I, I have very similar motivations uh, with with what I do. Like this, this stuff kind of rocked my my day. And there's other things that really matter. So let's let's share it." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What are your top three recommendations? And this is the the question that always ends the show. But what are your top three recommendations for people want to kick more ass at life? So this is not, you know, savers, that's six things. you got to pick the three most important
3: things that you know of. Sure, and I can take the savers, of course. But um, so here's, I, I wrote a couple things down. Number one, relentlessly upgrade your circle of influence. I think there's nothing more important than what you could do. You know, Jim Rohn said it the best. Jim Rohn's a pretty smart guy, right? But we become the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And it's so true. It's true with your health, with your weight. If everybody you hang out with eats unhealthy food, your friends, your family, well, guess what you're probably going to eat, right? The way they say it is, if you hang out with five people that are broke, you'll be the sixth broke person. If you hang out with five people that are overweight, you're going to be the sixth person. So I think there's almost nothing more important that you can do because – you're, who you're surrounded by and who you talk to just it influences your thinking more than anything, right? I wouldn't have run a 52-mile ultramarathon if I hadn't hung out with people that ran 52-mile ultramarathons. I wouldn't have written a book if I hadn't hung out with people that were authors, right? So that's the first thing. Um, second thing is relentlessly program your mind for success. There's arguably, you know, again, right there with the circle of influence, nothing more important that you could do than program your mind for success. So identify what beliefs are holding you back. Identify which behaviors are holding you back, and then every day create a written statement, which would be called an affirmation, right? That is That reflects what you want, why you want it, what's holding you back, and what you need to think, believe, and do on a daily basis to make your achievement, your attainment of whatever you want, your biggest goals and dreams, to make it inevitable. And then number three, create – this will be a surprise for you, Dave, and the listeners – Create an extraordinary morning success ritual, and I was very pleasantly surprised. Uh, are you familiar with Evan Pagan and his work?
1: I don't believe so. What's the name of his work?
3: You have to look him up. So Evan, uh, so you go to Evan Pagan, E B E N, EvanPagan.com. He's, he's he's brilliant. So Tony Robbins interviewed him. Uh, he, he does about twenty-five million dollars a year as a solopreneur with all sorts of different stuff. Tony Robbins interviewed him a couple years ago, and this is my favorite interview, I've listened to it dozens of times, it's always in my car on the CD. And at the end of this interview, you know, um, Tony just, you know, picked Evan's brain for an hour and a half, he said, Evan, you've given so much value, you've taught so much, if you had to sum it up in one lesson that would make the biggest impact for everybody listening, for their business, for their life, what would it be? And I was very pleasantly surprised, I was actually writing The Miracle Morning when I heard this, he said the number one thing you can do to take your life to the next level and your business to the next level is create a morning success ritual. He said, make sure that what you do for the first hour of your day sets the context for who you need to become to create everything that you want for your life. And that's where I realized that the miracle morning, that's what it is for me. It's it's the most effective success ritual to ensure that every morning you become a better version of who you were when you woke up that morning. And if you do it every day, your success at any level that you want, it's inevitable. You eventually, you get there. It might happen when you're 23, or it might happen when you're 26, right? Either way, when you get there, you're like, wow, I, I see it didn't happen as fast as I wanted it to, but it might happen for some people faster, but eventually you go, everything was perfect, and I'm, I'm living the life that I always wanted to, Dave, and you're a living example of that.
1: Well, that's an amazing set of, of three answers, and uh, Evan's site is getaltitude.com. Yes, there you go. There you go, and we'll put show show notes to all that stuff uh, in here. I, I have to admit, I just looked it up. Um, I haven't seen his work before, but I'll check it out now. I you'll, you'll
3: love Evan. He's yeah, very very cerebral and intellectual, like yourself. You'll uh, I think you'll like the way he processes and the way he thinks.
1: Beautiful. Well, Hal, would you please drop the name of your URL and your book, Miracle Morning, so people can buy it and leave positive reviews on Amazon, which are mana from heaven.
3: I'll even show the beautiful cover, nice. right? the Miracle Morning. Get it on Amazon, uh, Miracle Morning on Amazon. And then my uh, my URL right now, my I, I'm putting on my first live event, Dave. I just went to your Biohacking Conference. I was there. It, I don't even know. We didn't even I don't know if we shook hands or not.
1: But you were so busy. Sorry, I, I did my best to meet everyone, but uh...
3: yeah, no, it was amazing. So I was at the Biohacking Conference. My first live event is this December. Best Year Ever There's, I think, we have 32 spots out of the 200 left. So Best Year Ever blueprint.com and it is going to be literally unlike any event anyone's ever been to and I don't say that as a as a sales line it's going to be it's hard to explain but very experiential we're going to do things not it's not about what you're going to learn there it's about what you're going to do that's going to set you up for the most extraordinarily successful year of your life in 2015 so best year ever blueprint.com I'd love for you to join us Dave you're invited too buddy uh, on the house Oh
1: thanks man best year ever blueprint.com oh. Yes. All right. All right. Everyone, you got that? You're driving? It's going to take you a while to type it into your phone, which is technically illegal. So you could just pick up Siri and say, Siri, when I get home, remind me best bestyeareverblueprint.com.
3: Oh, hey, I love Hal. it. Yeah, thank you.
1: All right. Hey, Hal, I really appreciate having you on the show. And I'm I'm broken hearted that we didn't at least get a photo together at the conference. Uh, we, we had like 500 people show up and it was actually the busiest time I've had in my life, where it was like every minute was like, run here, run here, run here. But, uh, man, it was, it was a rocking conference, so thank you for coming.
3: Yeah, you put on an amazing event. I can't wait for next year, man. I'll be a regular annual attendee for sure. Beautiful. Have an awesome day, and thanks again for your work. You too, brother. Take care.
1: I'm back in the t-shirt business because you can get the new Bulletproof Executive t-shirts, and they're better than any t-shirt I've ever made before. Head on over to UpgradeItself.com and see how cool these t-shirts are. They fit amazingly well, they're super soft, and they're really affordable, especially for a t-shirt that's this high quality. Did you know that Cyber Monday didn't even exist before 2005, and now it's the ultimate online shopping day of the year, even bigger than Black Friday? It's true, in fact, last year's Cyber Monday was the biggest online shopping and savings day ever. And now this December 1st, I'm upgrading Cyber Monday to help you hack your holiday shopping list by kicking off a special online event with exclusive savings. The savings continue on December 2nd when, in celebration of the Bulletproof Diet book launch, we're kicking off a 12 days of Bulletproof. That means you'll get great 24-hour savings on a different product in the Bulletproof online store every single day from December 2nd through December 13th. And in the spirit of giving, you can even save 25% more on top of the daily discounts and cross up to 12 names off your gift list all at once by getting the entire bundle of products with just one click of your mouse. If you haven't already, just make sure you sign up for email updates at
2: bulletproof.com or like Bulletproof on Facebook to make sure you get all the details.
1: Then just mark your calendar to watch your email inbox and the Facebook page starting December 2nd for your invitations to each of the 12 days of Bulletproof. Thanks for listening, and I'm
3: excited to help you give the gift of Bulletproof this holiday season.